0: Well, welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation here at General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. We know that conversations matter, so this week we have grinded through the critical research to bring you the best stories and best people to have uh, great conversations. The General Assembly Podcast Stage is sponsored by Good Faith Media and CBF Benefits Board. We're also brought to you by the Clergy Confessions Podcast, a new series coming in August of 2022. Listen to ministers sharing truly awful experiences in anonymity. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carlisle Mike Wick, and a generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grumman. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary, Kansas City. Our guest at this live Journal Assembly podcast stage is Reverend Victoria Robb Powers and Rev. George Mason. Victoria is the Executive Pastor of University Park United Methodist Church in Dallas, and George is the semi-retiring senior pastor of <laughs> Wilshire Baptist Church. Uh, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks, Thanks for Angie. having us. All right, we're here to discuss how George is going to use his full retirement account to give uh, fellow pastors block grants in 50, 000, <laughs> and 50000 100000 and half-million-dollar uh, segments. So. That's right. That's exactly
1: right. Andy. That's just what we're going to do. Uh,
0: well, before we get to our, our conversation piece, uh, you know, we, we have to stop and and recognize, you know, you are you are retiring and you're had this tremendous legacy in CBF life here in Dallas at Wilshire. Um, how are you feeling at this at this point in the process?
1: Most days, great. Uh, it's uh, you know, I think it's going to be up and down in certain experiences where you, I, I find myself walking into the building and. Being nostalgic and thinking, wait a minute, this is not going to be my office, and those sorts of things, and then you know, I I, I find myself thinking, oh, I, I don't have a pulpit anymore. I used to um, prepare a comment on Uvaldi and all sorts of things, Roe, and uh, and and now uh, I've got to find other outlets. So there's there's some sense of loss about that, but uh, mostly it's gratitude and. Also, I've discovered what weekends are for most people, you know, which is a really <laughs> yeah. different thing. Yeah.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you'll be invited to preacher places.
2: And
1: Maybe uh, so, yeah.
0: I don't know if you've been strategizing, but kind of the last six months when you, you're announcing your retirement, you spend that time, you know, planting bugs around your office uh, so you can listen <laughs> in uh, to the next conversations. Yeah. All right, we're here to talk about Perkins School of Theology. It's a graduate program at Southern Methodist University. Um, George, how how'd you get it connected with the school? Well... Dean
1: Craig Hill was a um, faculty member at Duke Divinity School, and when he came to be the Dean at Perkins, uh, he remembered fondly the experiences with the Baptist House of Studies at Duke, which really is a tremendous program. and a, and, and Curtis Freeman has done a great job with that, and uh, I had served on that board for many years, and so Uh, He knew I was just down the road, so he called me and said, we'd really like to do this here at Perkins. Can you help us? And so it it fit pretty well with me because I knew what Duke had done, and so we just really sort of replicated their model, and uh, Jamie Clark Souls, who is a New Testament professor there, became the director of the Baptist House, and she's a Baptist at Royal Lane Baptist. And so it was kind of an easy start, but we've been building ever since. Uh, We've been fortunate to have gotten uh, significant encouragement from the Ball Foundation and uh, grants that have given us the opportunity to tell students that money is really not going to be the issue for you. You have to uh, think about what kind of education you want. And if you want to come to a fully inclusive uh, school that is uh, an ecumenical education but with. really find Baptist scholars and a community that you can uh, be part of, then this is really a viable place for you to come.
0: Yeah. Victoria, you kind of have a unique angle in the sense of you grew up Baptist, now you're serving in Methodist Church, Methodist University Baptist House. So how, how did you yeah. get connected to all this? The
2: Baptist House has been the perfect fit for me in my experience because I grew up Baptist, I was raised Baptist, I was ordained Baptist, I'm still a Baptist but I've been serving in the Methodist church by extension of another denomination for the last eight years. So I know a thing or two about what it's like to be a Baptist in a Methodist landscape. So when the Baptist house was formed and I got a phone call from George and from Jamie about serving and helping establish this home for Baptist students, I was so excited and encouraged because you know it was an opportunity for my experience to really bear a lot of relevance for people. And I'll just tell you, Methodism is a great home for Baptists.
0: That sounds like a good podcast series, of, like Undercover Baptist. That's, That's nice. right. Do you occasionally like find yourself when you're supposed to be sprinkling? You're like, no, 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 I'm <laughs> going to put you under.
2: Yeah, I joke when I baptize babies at UP that my fingers are crossed, but <laughs> well, and
1: you know the the Methodist um, worship professor comes to Wilshire every year with his class, And we get in the baptistry, and I teach them how to baptize by immersion. Uh, And, of course, then I get to, like, uh, give my pitch for our theology of baptism also. Uh, And, of course, in our church, we receive anybody's baptism. We don't require you to be immersed. But uh, they are always having a great experience uh, about that, and we do too. So there's a lot of – this is the thing about an ecumenical education, is that everybody learns from each other. And part of what we learn is that there are strengths that we can find in each of our traditions uh, and that we must work together in this era. We cannot be playing intramurals anymore denominationally. But we we also learn that there's broken things about all of our practices. Mm. Everybody has a problem figuring out baptism, ordination, what the the table means, uh, membership, uh, all those sorts of things. So when you get to talking about that, you know, it, it's, it, it's a really uh, vigorous conversation and, and helpful in your spiritual formation, I think.
0: everything's here uh, in, in Texas is big. Uh, so, of course, uh, doing a little research, did you know Dallas has over a dozen seminaries just in the Dallas-Fort Worth yeah, yeah. Uh, area? Yeah. Um, so, Victoria, what, what makes Perkins School of Theology a unique approach for theological education?
2: Yeah, well, kind of to continue what George said, I do think there's something really valuable about earning a theological education in a truly ecumenical environment. So, for me, I didn't go to Perkins, but having been in the Methodist Church for the last eight years, you know, I, I, came, I was Baptist by birth. I was, you know, Baptist by family tradition. And now I'm Baptist by personal conviction because I've learned another way to do it. I've seen another way to do it. And I've learned good things from it and things we might consider doing differently, uh, certainly for us. But I've also learned, um, you know, I I really value these things, these unique distinctives about what it means to be Baptist in a way I never would have before had I not been doing ministry in an ecumenical space. And so I think that's what's really valuable about coming to Perkins and being among, what is it? 26 other denominations something or something like, that, like right? that, so you can really start to see um, what's distinct about your tradition, um, what's strong about it, what's weak, and so forth. But I, I think in the end, it'll make folks better Baptist ministers, you know, pursuing a theological education in a non-Baptist space. Uh,
0: you know, recently uh, the Ball Foundation donated 2.7 million, uh, a three-year grant to the Baptist House uh, uh, of Studies. Um, you know, George, take us a little deeper as, as to um, how this donation will, will affect students. You know, What, what is it for? Um, why did they choose the school? So there's a few things I would say. First of all, from
1: the student basis is we have a terrible situation in uh, training ministers in this time because so many of them are coming out of school with enormous debt loads. Uh, I mean, uh, we have pastoral residents who uh, carry probably an average of $50,000 worth of debt from seminaries or divinity schools, and they're going into jobs where they're not, making, they're not going to be making a lot more than that, and so they're, they're going to be impaired uh, in their family life, in their financial uh, life for years to come, to be able to... Have boss scholars at Perkins and know that we can train a generation of ministers who are going to leave without debt, that is an extraordinary gift. Mm. And it also is an enticement to people who are saying, I don't even know if I can afford to answer this call Mm. because I just, you know, I have all of these convictions and this sense of passion, but I I have to feed my family or I have to live. So this is an enormous opportunity. I think the other thing is from the ball Foundation's perspective, too, is a recognition that we've been timid about where the world is going as moderate Baptists, and there is a, a clarity that they have that Perkins is trying to reflect in its Baptist house, of being a place for everybody, so that we we're not we're not drawing lines around sexuality or gender uh, identity, we're not drawing lines around ethnicity and the like, you come and you learn and you're going into a world in which you need all those folks uh, to participate. And churches are going to need help and leadership in making the kinds of transitions necessary uh, to extend the gospel in a liberative way in the world. And uh, unfortunately, there are not enough schools that are bold enough about that uh, at this point. And we are clear and bold Uh, and we're also teaching historic Christianity. So Mm -hmm. it's not that, you know, this is uh, somehow a heretical school of some sort. This is part of uh, our Orthodox tradition.
0: That's right. Victoria, if people want to get connected and learn more about the Baptist House and and the programs and scholarships, where, where, where should they go?
2: Yeah, well, if you're here today at General Assembly, we have a booth just over here where Caleb Palmer is sitting, and you can get information about Perkins but also the Baptist House. Or you can visit smu.edu/perkins/baptist, slash and you can learn more about the Baptist. Lots of slashes, house that way too. Yeah, right. yeah. surely we could simplify that.
0: That's right, <laughs> George. This is probably the most pressing question to end our time together. Um, and you can't take the New York out of out of the heart. Being in Texas, um, who's winning this year? The Yankees or the Mets? Careful, careful. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, Andy.
1: Right? You know, if you grow up in New York, it's either the Yankees or the Mets? It's not the Yankees and the Mets, right? So my dad was born in Brooklyn and was a Dodgers fan and never forgave the Dodgers for moving to L.A., right? So he was off of baseball until the Mets came along. So my family was Mets all the way. Correct
0: know? answer. Yeah. Yeah. We can
2: end yeah. the podcast now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Andy.
0: Thanks, Andy. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your... CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website. At ChurchBenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Well, our guest is uh, Vitan Kondra. He is a collaborative partner with Alicia and Jeff Lee, CBF personnel in Northern Macedonia. Uh, Vitan, thank you for joining the conversation. It's an honor to be here. Uh, so tell us tell us a little bit more about yourself.
3: Well, I'm uh, born in Macedonia. I'm living there my whole life. Um, I've worked in several companies uh, in my my career, several NGOs. And for the last 10 years, uh, from the first year of Jeff and Alicia, I've been working closely with them in almost all of their projects. Um, We are working in more regions. In Macedonia, like uh, Skopje, then uh, the Polog region, which is Tetovo. Uh, so it's like very, very exciting and very interesting to work with with, with them.
0: So how did you meet uh, Jeff and Alicia?
3: Uh, well, it's um, uh, I met them through the previous president of CBF in Macedonia, Mr. Arvill uh, Earl. Uh, I met... Mr. Arville by, by accident. Um, we were, I used to work at uh, T-Mobile back then and he came to pay a bill. He was an, a foreigner speaking a local language. So it was very, uh, it, it caught my ear and I thought uh, maybe this gentleman needs more help. And that's how we started to, uh, to communicate. And, but unfortunately uh, after some time he's, he's, he decided to retire. And he said, well, the next uh, uh, family that's gonna be here in Macedonia working for CBF uh, is also a great family and I'm gonna give, you, uh, give them your contact information. So Jeff uh, called me, we had coffee, and the rest is, as I uh, prefer to say, the rest is history because uh, we've been not only cooperating since then, but we're very close, we're, we're like family. Um, so I understand you own a restaurant? Uh, yes, uh, it used to be a restaurant, now it's a, a fast food, a burger place, uh, I think that um, most of the people here from, from beautiful Texas uh, would, would love that place because we have like really good burgers, the beef <laughs> is excellent, um, and that, that is one of the, the businesses that actually uh, Jeff is very active, he's part of that business, and he has contributed through that business to have a good flow.
0: Yeah, so what's the secret to a good burger?
3: Well, uh, good meat, good beef, uh, then good sauce for me. And yeah, that would be it actually, because the fries and everything is for me just complimentary stuff. But when the meat, the beef is good, and the sauces, when they combine, they're excellent. And I have to say, we, we used to, we, we have like um, a lot of um, guests that are from foreign countries, and um, they say that uh, they're one of the best burgers that they ever tried. So, but you don't just serve
0: customers, you all, your restaurant also meets the needs of the community. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about how that yes,
3: works? Yes, exactly. I mean, um, what, what Jeff is doing actually and what our restaurant is doing, that's one of the, uh, the, the common uh, ground that we have is the social responsibility that we used to call. Even when uh, the, the, the concept, the previous concept, when there was family restaurants that were run uh, by, by me and one of my partners, we used to hire, initially, we used to hire and work with uh, employees that come from socially vulnerable groups. Uh, for instance, we had um, like the main chef that was in our kitchen, he, he used to have a disabled father and an unemployed mother, so he was the only one bringing income to the family. Uh, we had one cleaning lady that was maintaining the, the, the facilities there, the small facilities that we had. She was a cancer survivor, she used to be homeless at one point. Uh, due, to her, um, uh, due to her condition and the therapy she underwent, uh, she had a disabled left arm. So we were always tolerant and we never uh, wanted her to do some extra work. She was doing only the work that she was able to and she that's how she earned uh, uh, her, her salary. She was very happy. And now I'm, I'm, I, can, I can say that she has a, a job uh, w- within, a, I think it's a, a public enterprise and she has a easier job and she's uh, like, it went as a flow. She didn't lose her job during the pandemics. Uh, and uh, then we had one, one of our waiters who was actually an orphan, raised an orphan. Uh, he learned the job so well that now he, he works in Germany. He got a work permit, and now he, he, he's working in Germany. He's also very happy. Uh, and uh, it was very important for us that we maintain the business and that we work continuously without um, having any difficulties in providing their salaries and without um, making them afraid of losing their job. And the, the, the role of Jeff here was like very significant.
0: Yeah. So you know, obviously a lot of people own restaurants, but not everybody who owns a restaurant has a sense of calling to take care of their employees and then seek to meet the needs of their community. So tell us a little bit about your sense of calling to to allow your establishment to to do that.
3: Well, we share the same values as Jeff, Alicia, CBF, and all this community here. Uh, And... um, uh, we we are witnesses, for instance, I come from a country that's been in transition for 30 years. Uh, the, uh, Ma- Macedonia is uh, part of uh, a, a state formerly known as Yugoslavia. And when the breakup of Yugoslavia happened, it was not a silk road. It was like a war-torn country with a lot of uh, crisis, humanitarian crisis, then... Uh, I would say poor politics, which um, uh, left uh, a lot of people uh, without work, jobless, uh, a lot of careers ruined. So it is a, a community that's actually in need. So when you're responsible, when you are blessed to see, to have a chance to be in the group that's actually where situated, uh, has a good career, you have that call that actually you are designated to be part of the group that needs to help those in need. Mm -hmm. And that's how the idea started. If we are doing something that's good, If we are uh, having success in something that we have to share, there has to be that uh, corporate social responsibility. And you have to give something for that uh, community that you come from. Because actually, uh, there are people that uh, sometimes even at least they would come and buy a cup of coffee to support your local business. So if someone's ready to support you, then you should be ready to support someone else. Uh, In this uh, this aspect, I would like to say that CBF, during the hard times of the hospitality business uh, in in our community, used to donate uh, meals to families in need. And that was um, uh, during the hardest times of COVID. So uh, it was like a double help. It would help our restaurant because they were buying the food uh, at our place and then they would distribute it through a local ngo to families in need and in less than 4 months i can proudly say that cbf has donated hot meal for 1160 families in need like genuinely uh, families that are really uh, with with very very live under very bad conditions well
0: well, well let me just affirm you and in, in your approach, not everybody thinks the way you do. Not everyone thinks. Let me give back to the community that I'm part of. Let me take care of my neighbors in such a way.
3: Um, so that's remarkable. Uh, thank you. Well, that's that's again. I have to say, uh, our our friendship with Jeff. Uh, uh, our we have a group that we call like friends like family, and uh, we share the same values. Um, I also am raised raised to to, to help people. I've been helped through my life. So I know when when someone helps you, you have to help someone behind you. And that's how you you build success. Because, you know, success can be many times one-sided. I I believe you you understand what's my point. You know, people uh, are in some hard position in their lives. They achieve something and they don't turn back. They don't see where they came from. Mm. So that's not something that's valuable for me. Um, I had a, under the circumstances that our country was was developing and is still developing, I can say that I had a a very decent life and a, a fair chance for a career. So that's why I'm very thankful I'm thankful to God and I'm thankful to, to the to my friends that actually think alike me because you know it's it's not easy when you have to do job of convincing you know others about good deeds but luckily I'm in a, in, in, a, in a surrounding that that most of uh, my family and my friends share those values
0: One of the r- remarkable aspects of your partnership and friendship with Alicia and Jeff is is this, this cultural divide that y'all have been able to cross yes. to, to do work together. So I wonder if you'll give us a glimpse into um, how that relationship was formed and, and why that cultural divide has been able to be crossed.
3: Well, uh, also the Balkans is known as a place, a region with different cultures from different uh, national and religious background. Uh, so you, there's, it's. Again, a matter of choice. You choose. You wanna be um, someone that's selfish, that thinks only about himself, or you would, you wanna appreciate diversity. So appreciating diversity is always, as, uh, as per, per my understanding and per my, per my belief, it's always a success story. It's always the right formula to achieve a uh, better society, better community, because we are in need there for that. As I mentioned, we we used to be a a, a, a war tour region. Uh, the last the last arm, uh, the last armed conflict was in Macedonia in 2001. So if you remember. Uh, all those traumas that uh, some of uh, uh, people from my generation used to go through, then it's easy to to, uh, make a distinction between black and white. So uh, that's why we appreciate, the the more we're diverse, the more we come from from, uh, different backgrounds, uh, we think that we're stronger. And there's one other thing there are a lot of common values that different ethnic groups, different traditions, different faiths, different religions share with. So that's how we, we, always, uh, we always cherish the values. We always cherish the positives. We, we, even if we criticize each other, we try to be reasonable. We try to listen to to the, to, to the other uh, uh, side, so that's that's how we function. And it would be like great. We, uh, I, I had the opportunity here to see very uh, much like few familiar actually, few familiar faces uh, that had visited Macedonia, and they can tell the same. And. I I invite always people from the CBF community to come and see what the Lee family is doing there, how CBS is functioning, and actually how CBF is making an impact there.
0: What are your takeaways from your time here in Dallas?
3: Um, I'm impressed. Uh, I was expecting something like this, but I'm impressed uh, from the network. I'm impressed from the organization. I'm impressed from... Uh, uh, people with, with background that I can only learn. Uh, I can learn how to be a better person, how to be uh, a better professional and uh, how to always seek for, for, for new paths and new ways of success and impacts towards my community back home.
0: Vitan, thank you for sit down and having a conversation, but more importantly, thank you for enriching our experience here this week by being here. It was an honor. Thank you.
2: Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for Conversations That Matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support.
0: Our guest is Jim Morrison, the CBF Church Benefits Financial Wellness Initiative Director, and Rob Fox, the President of CBF Church Benefits. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us for the conversation.
1: Thank you, Andy. It's
4: great to be here with you.
0: Um, Now, I'll mention it at the close, but it's critical for our conversation right now that the CBF Church Benefits... Is not only sponsoring the General Assembly podcast stage, but they also sponsor annually the podcast in general. So, Rob, my first question is: Why so obsessed with the CBF podcast?
4: Well, wow, you know, it's it's. I'll just be honest. It's a host. I mean, the host is uh, <laughs> such a smooth voice and mm. really brings us into timely issues that we can think about <laughs> and uh, engage. So, thank you.
0: Most <laughs> most people say my voice will cause them to want to get into a car accident while listening to the podcast. So. <laughs> All right, Rob, what what kind of work does uh, the CBF Benefits Board do? Excellent. Well, thanks.
4: Um, CBF Church Benefits exists to serve ministers, congregations, church staffs with several different benefit services, a 403B9 retirement service, group life, ADD, long-term disability insurance, and a new suite of financial wellness services and educational tools, which Jim is helping lead.
0: So uh, what's, what's the best way for, for clergy and personnel committee chairs to, to get connected with your service?
4: Oh, that's an excellent idea. question. Um, to call us, to contact us, they can go to churchbenefits.org. You can see our contact information right at the bottom of the page. Uh, we have a full team who's ready to serve you. Contact me as president, Jim. We have Beth Roberts as executive vice president and Jenny Klorz, our newest employee, as director of benefits.
0: And if you comment on the post right now, uh, later on, I will put uh, Rob's personal cell phone number, <laughs> along with his home address, um, on, on the comment section. Uh, Jim, you. tell us about the, the Financial Wellness Initiative.
5: Well, the Financial Wellness Initiative is uh, fixed in such a way to help ministers, lay employees of the church, take a look at their own financial history, as well as where they want it from a future perspective. So, for instance, one of the things that we have that's extremely important for folks is being able to contact uh, our provider through Empower for either financial advice in terms of their investment allocations for retirement or to do a financial plan at no cost to them. That's a value of anywhere from $2,500 to $3,500 that they would have to pay on a fee-only type financial planner. But they can get that through the Benefits Board, through Empower, with registered advisors, uh, certified financial planners. uh, And it enables them to do a financial plan, taking a look at their needs, wants, and wishes over three, four phone calls. Uh, And it's extremely valuable and extremely helpful. Rob and I both have gone through that program. We've had about 25 other ministers to date since we rolled it out uh, end of last year who've taken advantage of that. And for ministers, another advantage, not only to the planning aspect, not only to the opportunity to take a look at where they are now financially, where they want to be in the future, uh, is that they can include their spouses with that uh, and in that conversation, and it helps for a broader conversation between spouses as it relates to their financial presence as well as the, the future. And it's a great program, and in addition to that, we provide ministers, uh, once they've completed that program, a $500 employer contribution to their retirement account. And so over uh, a 10, 20, 30 year ministry, that $500, when invested only at 7, 8%, is going to grow into a couple of thousand dollars by the time they would
0: need it for retirement. Because we're doing this interview, I get one of those, right? Is that, yes. is that how it works? That's correct. As <laughs> soon
4: as you finish the financial point, we're watching, <laughs>
5: monitoring. And, and you can find the, the uh, appointment registration online at uh, CBB.org, and you can make that appointment that's convenient for you for the initial call. That initial call is kind of a get-to-know-you call. Then they give you some homework to do. You respond to another call in a week or two a third call to wrap things up.
0: So I know this is somewhat of a, a loaded question, and we could talk about this for probably the next hour or two, but what, what tend to be some of the most common financial issues uh, that ministers or congregations are calling to, to talk with you all about for you to advise them on? That's
4: great. I'll, I'll go first, Jim, and then yeah. you can answer. You know, I think um, one of the biggest challenges is they don't know that we exist, and ministers haven't started thinking about retirement early enough. So they need a long time horizon because a younger minister could save much less than Jim or I and have that ready for retirement. So they're waiting really too long. So that's why we're trying to get out and encourage people to listen to the podcast, you know, invest early. We're also trying to tackle student debt alongside that. That's part of the financial wellness initiative. The advice used to be to pay off your debt and then save, but now we're saying Let's find ways to do both at the same time so you don't lose the time horizon.
5: I think there's a couple of other items that a lot of ministers are not even aware of, and that's compensation planning. Uh, There there was a time when that was kind of on the forefront of church life. I mean, ministers knew about it, their congregations knew about it, their personnel committees knew about it, uh, and had a way of handling it that was appropriate and tax-wise in what they were doing. Somehow, over the last 25, 30 years, that's kind of dissipated. And part of that is because of the high cost of medical insurance. Uh, and, and so churches and ministers need to be aware of that. They need to be, bring it back, not, not to the forefront of something, but it's, a, it's more of a structural issue for them as a family and as a congregation. And so what we've done is put together several resources that help ministers in taking a look at their compensation, the package that they have, whether it's life, health, disability, the housing allowance, which a lot of ministers, not surprising, are still not aware of it. But we have those resources that help them not only understand it better, but utilizing those resources with their various committees to help educate, inform, even inspire them to take a look at it. A, a good example is we had a we had a uh, minister last night talk to us at the booth about uh, their committee and what they wanted to do is just give them a lump sum amount of money for salary and they divvy it up the way they want to. And it's a fairly well known church, a fairly good sized church, uh, and yet that's not the wisest way to do it. And congregations really need to be aware of that. Ministers do too. So. It's part of the minister's role, I think, to help inform their committee on what the compensation needs are, how to, I'm gonna use the word negotiate because that's important, uh, negotiate that process because it is a give and take between minister and congregation. Uh, and thirdly, where its I think it's really important for the co- church to understand the way in which they compensate their minister and staff says a lot about the congregation and their desire to have a well-trained, well-equipped minister and staff to serve the congregation.
0: Rob, Jim, thank you for the conversation. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Andy. This episode is brought to you by Youth Theology Network. Youth Theology Network is your resource for helping high school students take their next most faithful step. Their online hub will provide you with resources for and by leaders helping high school youth discover their purpose, 100-plus vocational discernment programs across the U.S. to help students explore their call, and impact stories to remind you of why this work matters. Like you, Youth Theology Network is dedicated to seeing students live out their purpose, passion, and calling. Connect with us to learn more on how you can partner together to support the next generation of leaders by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting youththeologynetwork.org. That's youththeologynetwork.org. Our guest is the Reverend Dr. Daniel Vestal. From 1996 to 2012, he served as the executive coordinator of Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. He's now the distinguished university professor of Baptist leadership and the director of the Ball Center of Baptist Leadership at Mercer University. Uh, Daniel has a new memoir, This Treasure Within, uh, Dr. Vestal, thank you for joining the conversation.
6: Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Thanks.
0: Uh, it's good to have you at General Assembly. Um, I don't think you'll ever fully know uh, just how much your work and your legacy has impacted countless people here uh, and then within our fellowship. Um, so, so tell us, what, what have you been up to at, at Mercer University these last couple years before we, before we jump to the book?
6: Yeah, sure. Uh, when I was drawing to a an end at my tenure at CBF. Bill Underwood, president of Mercer, asked if I would consider coming to Mercer, and uh, it was an invitation that I felt uh, was a was the right fit for me in the next chapter. And so, I've been there 10 years. Can you believe that? And um, my primary focus is working with congregations in helping develop lay leaders, uh, providing resources and opportunities for theological education for laity, and my colleague uh, Libby Allen and I have worked with a number of ways. Uh, COVID was a kick in the gut, frankly, and a tough time and season for us because we were offering classes in local churches, and uh, when COVID hit, uh, local churches, like everything else, that stopped. We've done some online classes, but... Um, the writing of the memoir was the, was really the focus of the last two years. Uh, now that hopefully we're getting to a place where we can go back into in-person gatherings, we're gonna restart in um, offering leadership classes for, for laity. Also, uh, we've hired a young man by the name of Harrison Litzell, uh, a McAfee grad, who is working in uh, helping develop resources for local congregations in uh, children's ministry, children and family, congregational leaders, lay leaders who work with children and families. And then also uh, a colleague, Jake Hall, is uh, working with me in ministry with uh, initiatives and in culture and uh, faith outside the local congregation. So a lot's going on and I'm enjoying uh, my ministry at Mercer.
0: Let's, let's... Let's turn our attention to the book. I told Daniel beforehand. I hope you're okay talking about yourself for 15 to 20 minutes. <laughs> um, it was joy to read and learn about your life and work. Well before you were, um, you know, introduced to a Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including um, you coming up uh, from preacher stock. Didn't know uh, about that. Your your father was a pastor and grew up right alongside his work as an evangelist. How how do you think your calling uh, was was shaped? Uh, from your upbringing, you know, to go, to go into ministry, how, how much do you think that played a part in? I what think you're now doing today? I think it's a very
6: significant part. Uh, my father was the towering figure in my life, and um, I, I would watch him preach revivals, and uh, was just tremendously impacted by him. Wanted to be like my father, probably wanted to be my father, uh, in many ways, and I can't ever remember a time in my life when I didn't want to be a preacher. And uh, I've doubted a lot of things in my life. I've doubted my faith. I've doubted the Bible. I've doubted whether there is a God. But I've never had a question about my vocational identity as a preacher. Uh, That later morphed into a, a vocational identity as a pastor. But early in my life, influenced by my father, yes. Um, early, I knew I wanted to be a preacher of the gospel.
0: Of course, when you were being trained as a pastor and serving in those early years, there was a lot of theological diversity within the Southern Baptist Convention. Take us, take us back before the split. Okay. Take us back to the 70s and 80s when unity seemed to matter more than creedal control. Yeah.
6: I think there was, there was diversity. Um... Maybe not as much diversity as there is today, but there was a, there was a lot of commonality. Uh, and it centered around uh, cooperation. I mean, Southern Baptists were built around the idea of cooperative program, the idea of cooperating together across diversity to share the gospel. Uh, and I think I think there was diversity, and it was it was not only uh, it was it was more tolerated and more accepted. And there was a there was something beautiful about the SBC in those days for me. Now I realize I was white, I was male, but for me there was there was something quite beautiful about shared ministry, cooperative ministry that included both evangelism and ethics. And uh, so I, I I, believed in that. And as a young pastor, was committed to helping support that in my local churches where I pastored and in the convention itself.
0: You, you pastored multiple churches in Texas and then in Georgia. Um as I was lovingly called, the mess began to ensue. Yes, yes. Sowing seeds of, of discord that would cause thousands of Baptists to leave the convention to start something new. Yes. Um, talk to us about the experience of the pursuit of, of control and power grabbing and backdoor deals and backstabbing that took place leading to what most have coined the fundamentalist takeover of the Southern Baptist yeah. Convention.
6: I was at First Baptist Midland, Texas, as pastor, and... Uh, I remember, I I was not at the Southern Baptist Convention in 1979, uh, which is the convention when supposedly the takeover really started, but uh, there was an intentional effort, uh, orchestrated, financed, planned, uh, to take over the convention, and uh, it was built on, uh, it was built on, really character assassination, uh, fear, and it created a a toxic kind of environment. And for many years, I I did what I could to help stop that. I resisted it, not so much in a political way, but served on several committees and served on the Peace Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention trying to bring peace and then in uh, 1989 and 90, I agreed to be nominated as president of the SBC with the specific purpose of trying to bring reconciliation about. All of those efforts failed, and of course, there were many other people that were involved in those efforts. Um, and I think the split or the division ultimately that created CBF, uh, it was almost inevitable because the fundamentalists really did not want peace. They did not want unity or cooperation. They wanted control. And when many of us realized that that was the way it was gonna be, uh, we formed what now is uh, CBF.
0: Of course, you, you, you were there, playing a, a critical role in the formation of, of CBF. Uh, talk to us about the simultaneous grief and excitement that propelled the concept of this fellowship?
6: I think think for those of us who had felt like the SBC was a denominational home for us, it had provided theological education opportunity for us, it had provided mission, cooperative mission for us, it had provided many resources for us in congregations. Uh, There was grief in losing that. Uh, it was, it was a social grief, it was a shared grief, and it was real grief. And out of that, uh, even the decision to break with the SBC was hard for many of us. And it was hard, uh, it, it, it took time for different people to grieve and separate over a period of time. Uh, and yet, uh, there was also a sense of release and relief once the separation took place and I and for me uh, a deep conviction that out of this loss and out of this grief God was bringing something good God was creating something that was not just what we'd come out of but was creating something new and that cooperative baptist fellowship from the very beginning was more than just a, a support group for wounded Southern Baptists who were moderates, it was something new that God was creating that really was different. and uh, and when God is working like that, it it means there is new ministry, new institutions, new relish relationship relationships, new understandings of the gospel. Those are the words of renewal, and that that CBF was, was also a real renewal of the Baptist family and the Baptist witness, or at least in one part of the Baptist family. And then uh, even beyond a renewal in the body of Christ and the Christian church beyond the Baptist community.
0: So from 96 <laughs> to the 2002, you, you were the executive coordinator of CBF. Looking back all those years ago, um, what was going on in your head when you were selected to take the mantle of leadership of this fellowship?
6: Well, it was hard for me to accept that mantle. Uh, I don't think I ran from the call, but I was I was a pastor, and loved the church where I was serving, Tallowood Baptist Church in Houston, and really felt like that was where I would spend the rest of my life, and it was hard leaving the local church. It was hard for me to leave being a pastor in a local congregation and so when the search committee came to me the first time i said no and uh and it was several months before the spirit kept tugging at me and kept having some questions and new ideas and new thoughts and eventually made the decision that that this was a call, not just from a committee or not just from CBF, but that this was a call from the Lord. And um, felt really inadequate, felt really overwhelmed, uh, but had a strong conviction that this was this was the right right step. And so, in the end of 1996, I left the local church, left being a pastor, uh, to become coordinator. And uh, it it was a great, in retrospect I can see now, it was a great gift because it provided me opportunity to be a part of something that was bigger than all of us. And almost an out-of-body experience at time, watching what was happening, watching the birth and the emergence and then the early growth of CBF and yet then being a part of it and It was a beautiful thing, Andy. It was beautiful.
0: And so much about CBF that we've come to know and to love was formed in your tenure. Um, So talk to us about the passion that was being poured into the formation of mission partnerships and partner seminaries and field personnel multiplying and, and church starting and chaplaincy, all these different kinds of things. Talk to us about the passion that, that was swelling within the movement at
6: that yeah. time. And that's a good word, uh, passion and swelling. And, and it was it was almost like a drinking out of a fire hose. So many things were happening so fast. Uh, CBF made some, and even before my tenure as coordinator, during, even during Cecil Sherman's tenure, uh, it was some some very key decisions were made, uh, and even in the very early days of our beginning, some very important decisions were made that we would not own and operate institutions. We would work in a partnership model. And that, was, that has proved, I think, I think that's, it was way ahead of its time, and that we would work in theological education and many other ministries in partnership with organizations and ministries, and so that was very important—a um, commitment to women in leadership uh, with a, an, an equality—and and and that was new. I mean, I, I know that now we, we and Paul talked about that this morning. That we we still got a ways to go, but back in the early 90s, that that was a that was a bold step. Um, I think that our um, our commitment to uh, Baptist principles, uh, lifelong learning, biblically based global missions, uh, those were those were bold steps and and it, and people people responded, people in local churches, they saw this really is something different. We had a little, there was a, there was a little phrase at one time that sort of caught the attention of, of a lot of folk. It was a new way to be Baptist. And um, it, it was fresh, it was innovation. I don't mean it was perfect, okay? We, we still, we didn't, we, we had our challenges, but there was a sense of God is doing something new and God is doing something different. And I have believed and continue to believe that the Spirit is working in this fellowship, and I feel as energized about it now as I did uh, in those early years.
0: I know the the decision to retire as a coordinator was was a tough one. Um, As you look over the ten years since then, what, what gives you hope for the future of our fellowship?
6: Well, uh, s- uh, at the session this morning, seeing young seminarians graduating from schools all across the country, and not just Baptist schools, but Baptist houses in other denominational schools, that's, that's one, of the, one of the hopes, I, one of my sources of hope. Also, uh, I'm encouraged by the energy of young Baptists that are stepping up and finding their place of leadership. At this assembly, there are more people here I don't know than I do know, and that's good. Uh, It's not just uh, folks my generation, it's younger generations. Uh, And I have tremendous uh, appreciation for staff leadership, uh, uh, for Paul Baxley's leadership. I have great, I'm grateful for him and his leadership, but others in the staff, and um, at the state and regional levels, uh, local congregations, I, I, see, I, I see CBF as having a very bright future. We may not be as large as some other denominational kind of bodies, but there is viability, there is vitality, there is vibrancy here, and um, I, I'm excited about the future.
0: My uh, commissioning year, I was part of the very first class commission by CBF to start a church. Um, mm-hmm. It was your last General Assembly 2012. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, your words of commission, your words of affirmation for individually for my sense of calling, uh, I know propelled me into um, what would be eight wonderful years with the new church. And to know that I had this fellowship behind me uh, is an extraordinary thing. And I know there's countless people Uh, who can say that, that are serving on the field, that are in hospitals. And so much of that has to do with your imprint on this fellowship. Thank you. Um, I want to turn to some pretty critical questions to see a side of Daniel Vestal that maybe we haven't seen before. And so these are the CBF's podcast, five critical conversations. So uh, the first question is, What's your favorite ice cream flavor?
6: <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that's really important, isn't it? Uh, I, I like uh, mint chocolate chip. Is that, is that okay? <laughs> it's, it's your opinion.
0: Personally, I, I'm, it's not going to be ever on my palate, but uh, if, if, you, if you could only read one book besides the Bible for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh my! One one book. One book. You can only read one book the rest of your life. And the Bible. We're going to go ahead and say the Bible counts. Yeah. So you have to pick something else. It
6: would probably be N. T. Wright's book, uh, The Resurrection of the Son of God.
0: Mm. Do you have a hidden talent, and if so, what is it?
6: I like to cook.
0: Favorite go-to meal?
6: Um, Oh, I like a a, a pork tenderloin.
0: Okay. With
6: some, or I like a, a chuck roast with nice vegetables in it and, I mean I'm not a great cook I'm not a chef <laughs> but but I do like to cook I cook breakfast every morning so Earlene and me
0: if you could pick one superpower what would it
6: be <laughs> oh my one of my grandkids the other day, when they were younger Earlene was putting one of them to bed and and, and, and they said to her they said um, she asked she asked the question if you could... If you could ask God anything, what would it be? And, 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 and this grandchild said, I would ask God, how did those superheroes get their superpowers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I'd like to fly, you know, yeah. I'd
1: like to fly.
0: All right, so I'm going to nuance this question for you. Yeah. We've, we've been to General Assembly in D.C., we've been to Orlando and Tampa, we've been to Fort Worth, we've been to Dallas, we've been to Charlotte, we've been to Raleigh, we've been to Atlanta. If there's one place you wish we would have picked under your tenure to hold General Assembly, where would it be? That we didn't pick? That we didn't pick. Where, where should we have gone? Where would have been a destination, General Assembly?
6: Ooh. Well, you know, I, I love New York. And um, I would love, we don't have many churches in the Northeast, but that would have been fun for us to shine our light maybe in New York City.
0: I was kind of hoping you were going to say Las Vegas.
6: (laughs) (laughs) No, I I went to Las Vegas for the Southern Baptist Convention, (laughs) and that is not a happy memory for me. I don't want to go back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think a lot of these uh, cases that are coming out now find their roots back when it went to Las Vegas. Uh, well, Daniel, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. It's it. an honor to, to share time with you. Uh, again, your impact on our fellowship is so far reaching and immeasurable. And thank you, and, uh, thank you um, on behalf of CBF Podcast for, for, for making, making the time to do this and for, uh, for writing this book to inspire us and in the next generation of ministers.
6: Thank you very much.
0: We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Have you ever wanted to study the life and teachings of Baptist ministers whose work in civil and human rights changed the world? Have you ever wanted to read and watch other speeches given by Dr. King? Are you concerned with the way King's life, teachings, and legacy are used by contemporary political and religious leaders? Are you a local pastor or church leader and want to take an evening course at a seminary? Apply today to audit the life and theology of Martin Luther King Jr. at Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Talked by Dr. Lewis Brogdon. Visit bsk.edu backslash MLK to learn more. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out CBF.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at CBF.net backslash podcast support.